0: I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Before we get started today, nonprofits and grant writers often ask me where they can find grants. So I tell them about Instrumental. Instrumental makes my grant searching process go so much faster. It has so many features and data right there, and they'll even walk you through setting it up to help you get the most out of the system. Instrumental brings all your grant prospecting, tracking, and ongoing management under one roof. In fact, I partnered with Instrumental to give you a free two-week trial and $50 off your first month. Go to TeresaHuff.com slash Instrumental, that's Instrument with an L, And use the code GWSPOD to start your free trial. That's TeresaHuff.com slash Instrumental. Go give it a try. Hey friends, welcome back. If you are trying to break into grant writing, I want to invite you to join me on the Fast Track to Grant Writer VIP program. This is the perfect time to jump in because I am rolling out some incredible new features this fall to help you gain traction and build your successful grant writing career. You can sign up and start learning today at teresahuffcom VIP. Last week, we talked about the importance of having several different funding sources in place for your nonprofit. Yet, how's a new nonprofit supposed to get started with that? The next few weeks, I have got some experts who are going to teach you several different ways to start raising money for your mission. A lot of new nonprofits come to me looking for grants, or really any kind of money they can find. And if they're brand new, grants are not the first step they need to be taking. Well, this week's guest has some fundraising tips, especially for those in the earlier stages of growing their nonprofit. We talk about things like leading a startup nonprofit and some of the challenges that go along with that, how lean thinking can help new nonprofits, and we talk about the power of the pivot to a startup nonprofit's successful launch. She's got some great tips. Today, I am talking with Katherine Khrushchev. She is an award-winning professional in philanthropy, and Katherine focuses on supporting nonprofit and foundation leaders through her company, On Point Philanthropic Consulting. She works to strengthen nonprofit boards, fundraising, and programming. Before this, she led the Finley Hancock Community Foundation, she headed up a local United Way, and she led a health related nonprofit. So she knows her stuff and she brings those years of practical wisdom and experience. She gives us some super clear analogies to really help apply her tips for startup nonprofits. I hope you find this useful and encouraging. Enjoy! Kathy, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Tell us a random fact about yourself.
1: A random fact about myself is that um, I'm a little bit of a daredevil. And um, when people meet me, they, um, they're they a little surprised by that.
0: <laughs> I like it. So what's your <laughs> idea of a daredevil?
1: Um, well, I um, learned how to scuba dive. And um, really enjoyed that. And um, I've also um, I enjoy horseback riding, although um, I don't um, do any jumping, but um, I do enjoy horseback riding. And um, at different times, I've convinced my husband to do things like go up into um, an antique biplane with me um, for um a flight over um the capital of canada over parliament hill in ottawa canada which was very cool and we've done um parasailing and um zip lining and those sorts of things so uh-huh. um so always wear a helmet yes
0: <laughs> very fun but yes good advice <laughs> Now, you have quite a background and variety in nonprofit work, and you come to us with years of experience in the trenches. So give us just a quick snapshot of your journey and how you got to this point. Sure. Um, Oh, I
1: have a academically I have a, a master of public administration and. Um, like a lot of people who get into nonprofit work, I, I sort of fell into it. it at the time that I began working. It wasn't even, a, even anything that I knew about. However, I took a job as a manager at a, an organization that provided services to people with developmental disabilities, and I was hooked uh, at that point. I, I realized that you know, this was really, the, was really the great match that I was looking for, where I could be an advocate I could be a leader and I could also provide um, real service to the community. So that was something that was really important to me. So I I did that for a number of years and then had the opportunity to lead a small health related nonprofit. And that's where I really developed um, a lot of my in-the-trenches skills about uh, running a small not-for-profit organization, always stressed for money, always hustling, always trying to figure out how we were going to uh, meet the next challenge and and at the same time provide good and meaningful services to the community. Following that, I had the opportunity to lead a local United Way in the Central Ohio area for about 11 years, which was fantastic, and th- that's where I learned a lot about donor relations, corporate philanthropy, and grant making, grant writing, grant funding decisions, uh, priorities, community issues, those sorts of things, community leadership. So very, very great experience with the United Way. However, in the back of my mind, I had always wanted to work at a community foundation. I thought community foundations were just amazing. And was always sort of looking for that opportunity. And it came to pass that I was um, offered a position to lead a local community foundation in Northwest Ohio for about um, 12 years. And during that time, I obtained a a credential called the Chartered Advisor in Philanthropy, so that um, really focused my expertise in terms of plan giving, but in that role, I worked with many, many local community organizations that were struggling, either they were just getting started and were having a hard time getting all the oars to row in the same direction, or they'd been operating for a while and just couldn't seem to get traction in the community and it really made me stop and think about what was going on you know with these organizations and organizational development because in a lot of communities these smaller organizations really are the nonprofit network that is providing the food providing the shelter providing the after school services providing the daycare services and um, communities need them to be successful and they need them to be effective in what they're doing so uh, i was really excited to have the chance to come and talk with you today about what startup organizations can do to have greater success more quickly, and maybe skip some of the the struggle, and um, and really get on board in their communities um, more effectively.
0: Yes, I agree, and I'm glad that you said that because so many nonprofits that come to me, or just I mean probably the majority of nonprofits are the small to mid size, and they really do build that whole network behind the right. scenes that we can't even see a lot of times but it's so hard sometimes in those startup phases to know what direction to go and exactly. like you and so many of my guests they don't have nonprofit training so they're mm-hmm. doing the best they can with what they know or exactly. with the skills they bring from the right. business world education wherever right and not understanding the nuances of nonprofit. So I'm glad you can advise us from so many different facets of working with nonprofits. I, I, and, and it's and it's been really great because I have a tremendous amount of
1: empathy for people who are trying to do this. It's just really yes. hard work. So if oh, you're struggling, yes. it's not because of anything that you're doing. It is hard work. Um, there are more than a, a million, it's estimated there's more than a million not-for-profit organizations operating in the US right now. And there are about um, 45,000 that are formed every year. However, most of them don't succeed. And by that, um, they may still be operating, but about two thirds of those organizations have revenues of less than Mm $25,000. So it's hard to get to a sustainable scale and it takes perseverance, but also some knowledge and maybe a few uh, tips along the way.
0: (laughs) Yes, and I hope people listening will take these into account because we want nonprofits to succeed, but it also begs the question of when to start a nonprofit versus when to look at what resources are already available and help supplement those.
1: That's right. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that what I see a lot of people failing to do is, is that market research. And I understand that, you know, you, you're, you're, maybe you've witnessed something in your community, or you've seen a gap, you feel there's a need, you see something isn't happening, perhaps the way you feel that it should. And that can be very motivating. And we want to make things better. Most, most of us, I I live by sort of the Girl Scout credo, you know, leave it better than you found it. And I think most of us try to do that. But in our excitement, It's easy to forget that we don't know everything that's going on. Even in a smaller community, you may not be aware of programs or systems that are already in place. And that's not to say that you shouldn't try to make it better, but it's really important to do your homework. As a funder, it's very disappointing to have someone come in and pitch you what they believe is a great idea to fill what they believe is a truly unmet need in the community. However, me or the person in my chair sitting there knows there's already three or four organizations doing almost exactly the same thing. And and so until you go out and start talking to people who are knowledgeable, you really are doing yourself a great disservice. I've often told folks that, if they have a great idea to fill a missing need that the first thing they should do is find an organization that's already doing something similar and talk with them about how you can help them support and launch an additional program or an extension of an existing program. Often there's no real benefit and there's a lot of cost involved in filing with the IRS, writing bylaws, recruiting a board, and then trying to fundraise for a a program that is really perhaps very, very narrow in scope. And if there's an organization that is already in the community, already has done all that legwork, explore partnering with them explore supporting them and their efforts to perhaps fulfill this, un, this unmet need before you go down the path of creating your a, a new organization f- from your kitchen table.
0: So true. And I hope people are listening. And one big key to what you're saying there, I think, is being open to what you find. not just going into it, assuming, okay, we need to start this nonprofit. This is what we're doing, but be open to just discovering what are the needs? How can we best meet the need? If you're truly about that bigger mission, let's look at what is the best way to deliver services to that.
1: Yes. And in doing research, I I was um, recently presented a webinar and, and we'll have links to that in in the um, show notes so that you can dive a little bit deeper into it but in in researching that um, for that webinar what i found out was that this idea of the pivot is so incredibly important and if you think about it, it it makes a lot of sense so you have an idea and you have an uh, about a need, and you have an idea about how you want to fill that need, what the service should be, how that service or, um, or support should be delivered. And yet, until you go out and actually talk to people about what their situation is, what their experience is, what the experiences of other organizations are who might be in that same network, Um, It's really hard to know from a distance what is going on. And as a result of that, I think sometimes people are afraid to change. They're afraid that, oh, I had this idea about how to fix the homelessness problem in our community. And I thought it was there was a lack of shelter. And you go out and you talk to people. And what you learn is That's really not the problem. The problem is something else. And having the courage to pivot is um, something that will strengthen you and strengthen your organization and strengthen your idea so much more. One of the things that I learned as I was researching was that organizations that change direction at least once or even two times during that startup phase where they keep their mission, we want to make something better, but they pivot in how they're thinking about how they're going to do it or how that service is going to be delivered, they're actually much more likely to be successful in the long run and they're able to raise a lot more money. In part, because they've done the work of finding out what is truly going on versus what they thought was going on and then how they want to respond to it. So don't be afraid to change your mind. That, that's, that's part of the process. There's a, a saying out there that um, no, no good idea is left unchanged by its first exposure to the marketplace. And that's what you're doing. You're taking your idea and you're exposing it to the marketplace and you're letting people say to you, "Ah, oh, close or oh, not really, or wow, you are right on. And then being brave and making the changes that are
0: necessary. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that's so true because sometimes we do hold on to something for whatever reason out of fear, out of yeah. uncertainty. Out it's out so of my baby. Drive. Yes. Oh, that's so common. <laughs> I'm just, no, this is what I wanted. But we really need to be open to that. And yeah. just like in a business, you let the market tell you what it wants and you right. adapt your business to that so a nonprofit yeah. mission and service is the same way of what are the needs here and how can we serve and meet those needs yeah. and it may so, not look like we expect exactly
1: so one of the stories that i like to tell is about a startup organization here in the community that i live in and um and this happened while i was the leader of the community foundation and two gentlemen who are well-respected in the community, but not really part of the nonprofit world or the service delivery world, paid me a visit and they said they wanted to start this new program to work with people who were coming out of um, incarceration. And immediately my mind thought, well, there's already any number of those types of programs that are working with people who wanna come out, who are coming out of being incarcerated for whatever reason. So my first reaction was kind of negative. I mean, I'll be honest, I was a little negative. And I said to them, well, have you talked to the judges? Have you talked to the sheriff? Have you talked to the corrections folks? Have you, you know, and I just, you know, I gave them basically homework. I said, you need to go talk to these people and find out what's really going on. Talk to the parole officers, talk to the diversion officers and find out what is it that they need. And then also go talk to some of the folks in the jail, go talk to the the inmates themselves and find out what are they missing in their lives? What is preventing them from coming out and being ready um, to re-engage? And over a period of about six months, that's exactly what they did and they would come back and check in with me periodically and sort of report what they learned and we talk about it. And ultimately, they created a very needed program of support. They are doing it in a very unique way and it's working. It's working. And it's working in the sense that it's making a real impact and change in the lives of the people who are receiving the service. And it's working in that people in the community see it as a viable, successful, worthy uh, organization that they want to support. So it's working. They've got all the wars rowing in the same direction, but they took their time and they really – took their time about learning about a part of the community that really they were not ever a part of. These are two retired business owners. So I just say Godspeed to them because they did it and and it wasn't easy and they got a lot of negative feedback, but they didn't give up and they changed what they thought they were going to do. And it's working.
0: You know, I think that's one of the biggest keys that I've seen in nonprofits that grow and thrive is are they willing to do the long-term homework and to invest that time to really mm-hmm. go deep and take the feedback and take what they hear as opposed to just trying every new technique they hear about everything that comes along, every little idea and popping around as opposed to really Mm-hmm. digging in mm-hmm. and listening mm-hmm. to what they find those are the, to me that's what I've seen mm-hmm. that really makes mm-hmm. the biggest difference Well,
1: I think we all walk around with a lot of assumptions about how things work or how things should be and it can be very humbling to run to run into the buzzsaw of reality um, and say no nope, that's not how it works <laughs> a, little a little painful, painful sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes
0: but actually, when we realize that that doesn't have to be painful, it can be extremely Absolutely. useful. And the way exactly. we grow, then we can lean into that exactly. and embrace that. Well,
1: I think you know what you're what you're alluding to is another aspect of this that I've started to to explore and and think about is that how can nonprofit startups benefit from a lot of work that's been done in the for-profit world around the idea of the lean startup? And this idea of testing, test, 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 uh, testing your ideas, reality testing your ideas, that comes right out of Lean. Um, I didn't understand Lean very well until I started digging into it a little more deeply. And what I really like about Lean is this idea of the minimum viable product. And what that means is not the cheapest, not the worst, not putting something out in the world that is half baked, but this idea of testing an idea before you go to all the time and expense of building out a program or building out a service and assuming, okay, we'll need social workers and we need to have a counselor or we need this, or we need a warehouse or we need a truck. Before you invest in those dollars, the smart thing to do is to take a piece of that that would be minimally useful and test it. And that may mean just going out and talking to people about your idea. Um, you know, if you're thinking we need a way to better organize our um, food pantry system um, in in our community and, you and know, I have an idea about how to do it, put it down on paper, draw a flow chart and take that, out and test it with people. And that then gives you that feedback to then hone your ideas. And it doesn't cost you anything but time. You don't have to make that really costly mistake of hiring people with the quote, wrong credentials, unquote, because you've already done the work of identifying what is it that we really need here. And um, and I think that is something that We often overlook, we want the grand opening with the big buzz and here we are. And then we
0: wonder, well, why aren't people coming to use our service? Mm -hmm. And we've invested all this money in the full-blown facility as opposed to Taking baby steps and building the foundation to get there. Test
1: it, test it, test it. You know, you may think that what people, what what working moms really need is something after school, some sort of after school childcare, and find out no, it's not after school. It's before school, or it's for kids who are sick, or it's for something else. And you know, do the do you know is the the notion of the service still? there absolutely but this the the ways that you're delivering that service um are going to change based on that feedback that you get and change for the better
0: right and i think we have to let go of the idea that it needs to be big and done and perfect as opposed to it's okay to break it down into small chunks and test one small chunk and then expand from there that's right that's that's hard yeah. when I know if I'm creating something, I want it all done. I can see it in my head, but yeah. it's going to take time to get there. Well, I
1: think the you know the other part of Lean that um, I never really understood was this idea of fail fast. I'm like, fail fast. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Take you know, take mm-hmm. all your investors' money and fail. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> um, and what it means, in my understanding of it is, put something out there. See how it flies. And if people don't like it, then don't hang on to it quickly. Bring it back. Take the feedback. Tweak it. Update it. Rework it. And then put it back out there. Don't hang on to things that aren't working. Don't hang on to programs or ideas or services that aren't having an impact. The market is giving you very valuable and important feedback and it's telling you you're failing and you can fail slowly or you can say, well, this isn't working, pull it back and then rework it. Um, and the idea of failing fast is all connected back then to that idea of the pivoting that you're, you've got to um, not fall in love with your idea. It's, it's just an idea. And let the market and let people um, out in the field give you that really important feedback. And can it hurt? Yes. Can it be a little demoralizing? Yes. But that's part of the process because what you're going to bring back is going to be even better and fit the needs even better.
0: Yes. And what you're saying, it's less risky and we can move faster. We can be more nimble we're not risking exactly. as much. It's a small test. What See what parts work, which don't. Exactly. Change it around. Do another small test. And then you're taking that in smaller increments as opposed to a huge thing that you don't have any feedback on Most yet. Most
1: organizations, profit, for profit or nonprofit, they, they fail or close or shut down or sort of fade away um, because the founders... Um, run out of time, they run out of energy, and they run out of money. And um, any one of those things is bad enough, but to run out of energy and money, or to run out of time and money, um, you can't recover from that very well. So this idea of not investing, don't put all your, your, your fundraising eggs in one basket, um, and say, this is the way it's going to be. You want to do the minimum that you can to find out if something is really needed or going to work. And then you can scale up um, once you know that. But to throw everything into a single idea um, and then basically you have no options at that point or very limited options. Um, and I've seen this done on the really small scale. And I've seen it done when I was in another community, there was a national effort to create a, um, a big national database of information. There was a, a tech firm, you know, technology was going to, you know, save us from whatever. And they raised $40 million and they spent $40 million. And had they come out and talked to people in the field, we would have told them your model is not going to work <laughs> because it's not the way it works
0: <laughs> in Ouch. the real world.
1: You know, the way that they wanted to, you know, collect right. data or whatever. And I, th- I think back on that and I just think, you know, what good have, could have been done without $40 million, but they were locked into this is the way it's going to be. Oh,
0: that's and they, they
1: were unable to listen to the feedback coming from the mm-hmm. field
0: talking and to then the they people. wondered
1: why wouldn't we right. sign on to from the
0: front line using
1: this this data service because it didn't work so yeah oh. so it's not this isn't a blind oh, that's, spot <laughs> that's you know just limited to to smaller you know entrepreneurs this is you know this happens out in in the the um in the wider business world as well
0: Right, another thing I see as an issue related to that is a lot of nonprofit founders want to hold on to it, yes. but really the nonprofit needs to yes. outgrow the founder and sometimes they struggle with that transition, but that's that's the goal is to build something that lasts beyond yourself and that outgrows you as the founder instead of being completely reliant on that one core person
1: i I couldn't agree more and I, it's If you think about the skills and temperament of the person who was a startup, who was the entrepreneur, they're going to have very different set of skills than the person who is the leader of an established organization. Um, do you still want them to be energetic and have drive? And yes, you want all those things but the the skills and the temperament are very different between that founder and that person who then comes in to um, take the reins and lead a more mature organization. and And that can be really hard on the folks who have founded organizations because it feels like a failure. they They're in a situation and they can't they feel like they're constantly fighting with their board or people aren't listening to them or they don't matter anymore. And often you see founding when the founder leaves an organization, it's a really tricky time. And a lot of organizations don't recover from that because they're they're not realizing that the skills and abilities that the founder brought, the drive, the passion, the vision, um, is different from the skills that the ongoing operations of that organization are going to require governance, administrative systems, bureaucracy. Um, you those some of those things you have to have in order to run a more complex organization. And um, so it's, it can be a very challenging transition for the founder and for the organization. Um, and yes. I think that, takes a lot of introspection to realize that you are no longer a good fit, even though you are the founder of the organization. That's tough. Um, That's that's tough. But that's a win because you did it. You did it. You started it up. It's now running. It's successful. So take your skills, abilities, and all the lessons that you've learned and focus on another issue in the community. Um, go, you know, versus banging your head against the wall um, in terms of your own um, temperament, your own skills, your own um, passion um, within an organization. It, and it can be it, and I don't want to minimize how hard that can be. It's emotional and it's organizational and um, it just you know, touches a lot of, of really vulnerable areas.
0: Oh, yes. They're very vested in it. And for good Absolutely. reason. That Absolutely. also speaks so much to the importance of finding good fit board members who are passionate about the mission and who are yeah invested in making it a better nonprofit and serving not just finding bodies to fill seats because we need seven people on a board but really finding people who are committed to carrying that legacy on
1: that's right i i i I think that that is a really great observation i one of the best lines i ever heard on board recruiting was if you if you need linebackers don't recruit running backs (laughs) (laughs) and you know I'm not I'm not you know big on on the sports analogies but that really stuck with me and I think so often when you're in it starting up a new nonprofit, you know you've done your homework you know that there's you know a a unique um, niche in the community that your organization can fill you've gotten your feedback you've now ready to file your paperwork with the IRS and you need to come up with five, at least in our state, five people who are willing to sign those articles of incorporation. And so you go talk to your friends. And I would suggest that you stop for a minute. (laughs) And again, think about your skills, your temperament and what you're trying to do. And nonprofits who start thinking about their boards Strategically, leaders who right from the start think very strategically about their boards, they're going to be multiple times more successful than those who bring on a set of people who said, yes, I'll help you do this, but don't have the skills and qualifications that you need at that moment to run that organization. And I would suggest you need someone with a legal background, you need someone with a financial background. You need to bring someone on board who has some knowledge um, uh, about the area that you're, you know, you're seeking uh, to provide service in. If it's, you know, housing, then it needs to be someone who understands real estate and housing markets. If it's um, financial supports, then you need to bring someone in who understands how our system of financial aid to um, individuals works in your county, in your state, or, you know, in our country, because these are really complex systems, and you're doing your organization a tremendous disservice if you don't start bringing that knowledge and experience and expertise on board immediately. In order to grow your organization successfully, that board has to be engaged, engaged, not just with their minds, but also with their hearts as well. So they need to share your passion. I've heard people say, well, I had to go get this board in order to get my paperwork turned in, but what are they supposed to do? And that, that founding board is critical because what they're supposed to do is be your advocate be your advisor and also be your brakes and your gas um, because together you're going to make much better decisions um, and much more informed decisions than you will um, individually. You need a board that's not only passionate and willing to be your advocate, but you also need a board that's willing to put their money into it. About a third of nonprofits uh, are financed by the founder. So think about that. The, the, the money for the startup, the money to buy the, the cell phone, the money to put the computer on the desk, you know, money to get the legal fees, to get the paperwork filed, that typically is coming or often is coming from the founder themselves. You can do that for a while, but probably not forever. Those board members that you recruit, You need to be clear with them that not only do you need them to bring their expertise to the table, you need them to bring some financial resources and willingness to the table to give. And you also need their willingness to talk with others about giving. It's really crucial at the beginning um, to get that fundraising flywheel turning. It can't just be you and family members Making the donations, writing the checks.
0: Everything you just said about boards, I feel like we need applause, background, <laughs> cheering, <laughs> yay! It's so true, and that's I work with nonprofits on that because we also need to give boards tools when they come in, not just say, "Okay, you're on the board now, go tell people, go raise money." We need to create very strategic, clear. Messaging clear tools that board members can use mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have to be able to share in ways that make sense so that yes. you're conveying a consistent message throughout your organization.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I really like BoardSource as a source of high quality, time tested um, support and information on that exactly. Mm-hmm. I think the other part of it is that what your board needs to do is going to change over time. So I said, you know, when you first start out, your board is there to provide talent and resources and advocacy. However, there as your organization grows and changes, their roles and responsibilities are going to change. And as and that can also be a tricky transition because you are the founder and your board at the beginning is going to probably defer to you because you're the founder. You know more than they do about what it is you're trying to do, what the issues are, et cetera. However, as your organization develops and evolves, that relationship needs to change because as a board, legally, they have a very different set of responsibilities than you do as the leader or a paid staff member, you know, when that day arrives. And that can be a tricky transition because their responsibilities then become over making sure that there's fiduciary responsibility for the assets of the corporation, making sure that there's legal compliance for the corporation. Their roles and responsibilities evolve. And that's often where you see this conflict start, because the board is growing into its fiduciary responsibilities, but that founder is saying, in words and deeds, "No, no, no, you don't need to worry about that. I that's my job." And so there, be, there's a little bit of a power struggle can start. As the founder, you've got to understand and. Help them and help yourself by, by again, separating out your role as the leader and their role as the board.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that because that is important to name it and to acknowledge it because it does happen, but I think so often people don't realize it they don't understand it they can feel that tension but they can't put their finger on it so it mm-hmm. is important to describe this and just lay it out mm-hmm. so they can identify where are we in the growth process and that's how right. do we need to respond right. and prepare for the next stage of growth that's right that's now right. i know you have a really great analogy for this as say a small nonprofit they need to really establish a good foundation the board needs to be a part of it and they need to have certain aspects in place in order to really right. grow and become strong. So yeah. let's dig into that. I'd love for you to share.
1: Okay. Yeah, there are five competencies or five skills that a not-for-profit needs to have in order to be successful. And by that have impact, change lives and also have financial stability. Those are the, t- the two measures of success. You've got to have both of those things going on. And what I like to think about is you have a table with four legs. And if you have a table where one leg is shorter than the other, or one or two legs are shorter or longer than the others, it's always going to be tippy. It's never going to be stable. And as the founder and you know, what you are trying to accomplish is bringing your organization to a point of stability. So when you think about those four legs and the tabletop, the programs that you deliver are the tabletop. You're trying to keep that stable and growing and level and not tippy. You don't want to be starting programs and ending programs and having waiting lists and not having waiting. People, you need to know that you're going to be there. That's part of building your presence in the community and building your brand, frankly, that you're going to be there. But in order to support that tabletop, you've got to have governance systems. So the board, which we've already talked about. You've got to have financial resources which are the fundraising, which you talked a little bit about. You've got to have administrative systems. And that's that dreaded bureaucracy, I think, that a lot of times we you know, think, I'm going to go start my own organization because there's just too much bureaucracy around here. And a lot of times there is, but you've got to have those administrative systems in place. Otherwise, how are you going to keep track of your donors? How are you going to acknowledge gifts? How are you going to provide reports to your funders? How are you going to collect, retain, um, and manage your financial information so that you can assure the community that the dollars they're giving you are being spent appropriately? So that administrative systems are so critical and we're pro- it's probably the least invested in amongst startups. And, I would encourage anyone who is at a new organization or a small organization to think with a very open mind about their administrative systems. In my own world, I was well-trained to skimp on administrative services <laughs> because people will say, I don't want my money going to overhead. Okay. Okay but there's appropriate overhead and there's inappropriate overhead. And you got to figure out what is appropriate overhead for your organization. If you need an accountant, you need an accountant. You don't need your neighbor's sister.
0: I'm so glad you bring this up. I think we have this this impression that it's supposed to be just as tight as possible, but sometimes that's so detrimental. We need to know when to invest in the right things appropriately.
1: Exactly. So that those administrative systems are critical.
0: And, and then that's the kind of like, part, sorry to interrupt. That's kind of like buying a car and not investing in gas, oil change, new tires when you, they wear out. It's exactly. like, why would you have a car and exactly. not maintain and take care of it? Or. Trying, you
1: know, think kind of taking that analogy further, kind of think about it like you know, the little clown car that you see at the circus. (laughs) Yes, you've got this car you that's so tiny, and you're trying to run everything out of QuickBooks and a laptop and a friend who you can can do some bookkeeping for you.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. That's going to work for a while. And then it's just gonna all come crashing down.
0: Yes, so investing in those it.
1: administrative services and really understanding how important they are and valuing them yes. is so critical. I I spent years poo-pooing the importance of donor record keeping systems. And then only in retrospect did I realize how much time we wasted trying to work around a system that just wasn't meeting our needs. Um, and, and we have
0: to take that into account—the value of our team's time and exactly. the stress that it takes, that it adds to our workload when we don't exactly. invest in appropriate systems.
1: Yes, and then the fourth leg is the management systems, and that's the systems that are in, that as your organization grows, that you need in order to manage. Basically, manage the programs. Um, Do you have, you know, hiring people who have the skills and ability to um, run something from end to end, the ability and the courage to delegate um, and to hire people that you can delegate to? It's very critical. Things like systems for collecting client information, systems for um, managing how you're going to grow a program or change a program, those systems are really critical. And as your organization grows and changes, you're going to find that, oops, our financial resources are lagging and now we're tippy, we're we're unstable. So you get that sorted out and you realize, uh uh-oh, our administrative systems we're not adequate. We're not able to get the information that we need um, in order to, um, you know, provide information to our funders or to our donors. Um, so it's time to, you know, shore that up. And the same with our board. We have a board that seems to be, you know, doing well. And then you realize maybe a year later, wait a minute, what we really need now is X. You know, we we need to think strategically about our board and our governance systems. And, yes. and things that, um, again, they're not real interesting, but they can really harm an organization. Um, those governance systems inc- includes things like making sure you don't have conflicts of interest, um, making sure that your the way that you pick your vendors is transparent and free of any conflict of interest. Um, and if you do have board members who are providing services, that you have processes in place to make sure that there is no conflict of interest, that that there is no um, that you're not putting them at risk. Um,
0: Right.
1: So so those governance systems um, also become, um, again, not real interesting, but very important. The last thing you want is to get a phone call from your local newspaper or radio station saying, I understand that so and so who's on your board Got the contract to pour the concrete, um, and that you didn't bid that out,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you're kind of stuck in the hot seat trying you to. You are stuck that. in the hot
1: seat now. Um, so not only um, does that raise questions in the mind of the public, it raises a lot of questions in in terms of the legalities and the regulations around how you're operating your organization. So you don't want to have that weakness there.
0: And even if things are above board, even just casting that doubt can do damage with your donors and supporters.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm
0: glad that you brought up the fact that. This is kind of a work in progress, it but is. yeah, we may get all four legs even, but they're probably not going to stay even yeah. Today. as we grow and change. <laughs> Today it's good, but tomorrow it might That's need right. a little more stabilizing. That's right. And I think if we do that as we go and more often and stay on top of it, then that will help so much more as opposed to getting several months into a program and realizing, oh, wait, we are way off and we've got to catch up in this other area.
1: That's right. Right, and and that comes back also to those management administrative systems. You're, you know, that's those are your feedback systems. Do you you know? Can you do you have the the pieces in place to track um, your programs and how they're going? Do you have the the systems in place to get that information back to you and to your team and to your board quickly? When you're just in the startup phase, once a year, planning once a year isn't enough. I like to, to encourage folks to do what I what's called scenario planning. So rather than say we're going to plan out every step of the, of the way for the next two or three years, when you're in startup, no, that's not appropriate. You want to be thinking about it. If this happens, then we're going to do this. So if, if this program grows this way, then this is the scenario. We're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. But if this happens um, and say the program isn't successful, then in that scenario, here's what we're going to do. So rather than locking yourself into this path that you feel you can't deviate from, think about it as a series of what ifs. So what if this doesn't work? then here's what we're going to do. What if we're not able to hire a person or we're not able to raise the money or we're not able to open our doors on a particular date, then what's going to happen? Um, That's much more useful and it helps you and your board and your team think through how you're going to react and make sure that, that you're not just um, re- reacting to the moment, but you've thought about this, and you're and you're going to use this opportunity to learn, to gather feedback, and to adjust as part of the lean process. That constant adjusting, and um, and then you're you're ready. Now that you will always be surprised, but you'll at right. least be a little more ready.
0: <laughs> right, you can think through ahead of time, and that gives you a filter for the decision right. making that might come up. That reminds me of a question someone asked me recently about a grant. She was saying, we have this need, should we apply for two or three grants asking for the same thing to meet that need? And so my suggestion was come up with a good, better, best scenario. And what's the minimum amount you need to fund the project? But if you got both grants, here's what we could do. We could serve at this level. So kind of stair-stepping it that way Mm -hmm. to where you have a contingency plan no matter what happens with it Mm -hmm. and preparing. So that sounds very similar just at the organizational level. And that goes back to what you were saying in the beginning about being open to feedback and open to shifting as things come up.
1: Right. In startup mode, um, everything's on the table. You You can't mentally start to lock yourself in and that's one of the gifts that founders and entrepreneurs have They They have that temperament and they ha- they love that. They love that. Um, that is not me. And I know that. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm the person that you would bring in after the organization is already up and running because I live in a world of systems and planning, but as a startup, that's not where you are.
0: You can help cast the vision for that, though, of here's where it needs to go, what it needs to become. So as you're working, this is what you can work towards.
1: Exactly. That's right. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think as a a that I would recommend that a person who's thinking about doing a startup um, or starting up a new organization will be to get a couple of books about organizational development. There are a couple um, really good books about nonprofit life cycles. And you don't have to read the whole book. Just read the first two chapters, the startup when you have the idea and then the launch and, Mm -hmm. and you will learn so much and it will prepare you for these very normal typical changes that the organization um, is going to go through and needs to go through on its pathway to becoming successful. Mm -hmm. You can't be a startup forever.
0: Again, I think that awareness is key. and The more we can understand about that, the more we can clearly and more healthily outgrow that phase in a positive way. Well, this has been packed with such good information. Tell us a resource that's been meaningful to you in particular along your journey.
1: I have used and, um, uh, and really appreciate the work that was done by Jean Bell and Jan Masaoka and Steve Zimmerman. It's a book called Nonprofit Sustainability, Making Strategic Decisions for Financial Viability. I, I think any new leader of a not for profit should get a copy of this book and think about the mindset, the sustainability mindset that is so critical to develop. It helps you and helps board members understand the need to focus and the need to pivot if something's not working quickly versus continuing to um, invest in that long, slow decline. Mm. Uh, that Sounds that like is a, good a resource. resource, and I and I'm also a big fan of BoardSource. Their website mm. is terrific. Um, an individual membership is not that expensive. I think it's somewhere around 125, 150 dollars, and it gives you access to all of their resources. And as an, if you're thinking about starting up a nonprofit. I would spend some serious time on their website reading and thinking about what they're recommending and and their approach that they suggest, especially when it comes to boards and fundraising and those really important um, financial and fiduciary responsibilities.
0: Okay. Good to know. I will link to those in the show notes. And then you have a wonderful resource you wanted to share with the audience as well. And so tell us where can we find you online?
1: Sure. I do have a website. It's uh, onpointphilanthropy.com. And on that, on my website, I have a resources page. You'll see it right at the top where I've um, put a recording that I did of a webinar on this topic, and in it, I have a lot more information in detail about the specific phases that organizations go through um, as they start up, some resources specific to uh, those early startups, and also some questions to ask yourself. Um, one question that sometimes, you know, that comes up and, and it's, a, it's a painful question, but it's a question of, should I keep going? Uh, should we continue? Um, Is this, is this working? Is this going to work? And there's some questions that you can ask yourself to, to, as you, if you're in that position, if you're thinking about, should we continue?
0: And sometimes that is worth doing some deep soul searching and reflecting. And it sounds like those would be possibly good questions to work through as a team, as a board and as a group.
1: That's right. To go through together. Right. Do we have the time? Do we have the money? Do we have the stamina Mm -hmm. uh, to continue doing this?
0: Right. Internal questions and then external of what are the needs here? And are we Mm -hmm. appropriately meeting them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been packed with incredible information and practical advice. And we appreciate you sharing your years of wisdom with us
1: what well, it's been my pleasure and I look
0: forward to talking with you again. All right, friends, what do you think? Did any of Catherine's tips surprise you? And is there anything you're going to implement immediately? I don't know about you, but I love the table picture that she sets up because that is so practical and that gives such an immediate like, oh yeah, of course you have to have all the legs even and the table needs to be level in, the, in order to function properly. So that just immediately makes sense and helps connect the dots for all those different aspects of your nonprofit that you need to have running smoothly. And to me, it's also encouraging knowing that sometimes things are gonna get out of balance. You may get it in place and running smoothly, but then something else is gonna tilt and that's okay. You adjust and you keep growing and building your muscles, so to speak, to adapt for that as it comes. So I would love to hear from you. Either message me on LinkedIn or on my website and let me know what you thought. I'd love to hear what was one big takeaway that you will apply to your nonprofit this week. I want to challenge you with that and let's see what you can come up with and what kind of a difference it'll make. All right, friends, if you are still considering a career in grant writing, go take my free quiz. Do you have what it takes to be a grant writer at teresahuff.com quiz. If you're on the nonprofit side of things, you're welcome to go take the grant readiness audit at teresahuff.com slash and see how your nonprofit measures up to those specific expectations there. All right. Have a great week and go change your world.